so we are closing out our Ephesians series because we're going to start a new series next week. Um, so who are you going through Ephesians? We're skipping chapter five in Ephesians. If you're like, wait a minute, you guys, and obviously we haven't hit a reverse, but we've kind of been going through Ephesians. We're skipping chapter five, which is about relationships because we're going to do a relationship series in October, uh, which is going to be really, really cool. Uh, so we're jumping to chapter six today. Uh, but to start, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, when I say Jesus, what image pops into your mind? Like, I, you know, you could have a lot of different thoughts, but like, what, it, what does he look like in your head, I guess is, is the question. So I grew up in church and, and uh, as a kid, they used a lot of visuals to help teach, which is a good thing, right? And the kids need those visuals to, to be able to learn. And uh, one of the things they, they used was called a flannel graph. If, if you're that old, you can remember something like that. They put this piece of felt up on the wall and then they would stick little Bible characters uh, to it. And uh, this is what it would look like, kinda. Uh, that's about the quality. Um, and and there, here's Jesus, okay? A little kid on his lap. This is kid-friendly Jesus, usually teaching uh, the story where Jesus says, let the little children come unto me, really important. So this is kid-friendly Jesus. And this is part of the thing uh, that, that molds what I think of when, when you say the word Jesus. Uh, another thing that helps shape it, um, when I was growing up, again, I think it was just like this weird, consistent thing. In every single church building that I went into, they had a picture of Jesus knocking on a door somewhere in the building. I don't know if you guys experienced this, but it was somewhere in there. They would have a, a picture like this. And even weirder, for some reason, in all of the pictures, Jesus is glowing. Um, and I don't know why, uh, just so you know, historically, I think that's inaccurate. I don't think Jesus glowed. I think Luke would have mentioned that, right? He, oh, he's feeding people, he's healing people, he glows in the dark. You know, that might be a part of like the, wow, guys, there might be something special about this guy. So that's not uh, fully accurate. And then, um, whether it was in children's books or maybe another wall with another picture, inevitably there was something that looked like this. And here's what's weird, here's what's weird. Since, since these things shaped like the picture in my head of who Jesus is, like just full disclosure, this is my disclaimer, I'm about to make fun of this picture. And, and I feel weird about it. I have this weird little thing inside of me that goes, that's blasphemy. You're making fun of a, a picture of Jesus, how dare you? And I keep having to tell myself, it's just a picture and a bad one. And the reason I'm going to make fun of it is because it is actually inaccurate uh, and in, an incomplete picture of Jesus. So here's what popped into my mind when I saw this. I typed into Google Jesus and I, I was looking at pictures and this one came up and I said, you know what? This reminds me of a Disney princess. <laughs> and the one that came to mind, I'm like, this looks like Snow White's long lost brother. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? <laughs> And here's the crazy part. So I typed in Snow White, and I kid you not. What is that? So, and I mean, I could pick this apart. So he's, he's awfully European looking, by the way. Isn't that weird? I don't know if you guys, a gentle reminder, he was a Middle Eastern Jew who spent his time outside, probably a little darker. Um, and... The long hair. I don't like, so guys, listen, why does Jesus have long hair? Why do you think he has long hair? Because of all the pictures you ever look at. If you ever study history, though, Jews didn't have long hair back then. And if you read, like, the Apostle Paul wrote something in the Bible about how, you know, it's not culturally thing that guys have long hair. So why does Jesus have long hair? Why is he so white? Why is he like a Disney princess? What is that, right? So for me, when I, uh, when you say Jesus and I start to try and, like, 
picture him, I have a hard time because I kind of, I kind of, I know better, but this is the kind of stuff that pops into my mind. Um, but I want to, I want to fix it because, um, I, you know, I, I can have fun with this just because it's silly. Um, but my real problem is that Jesus is presented as so frail and so fragile, right? Like this weird, like wussification of Jesus. Like he's, is a, a Disney princess with powers, um, like a stiff breeze might blow him over, but he loves people, so it's okay. You know, like that's the kind of feel you get from this. Um, and that, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Uh, it's true, so I'm not trying to like poo-poo that. He was gentle, meek, and mild. Um, but we gotta keep that in context. So can I, can I show you um, some verses in the book of Revelation? This is about Jesus when he comes back, okay? So, so yeah. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yes, he did. He did love children, and um, he he was gentle with certain people. It's not all. That's not the whole picture. Revelation nineteen, starting in verse eleven. I saw heaven open, uh, heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses dressed in fine linen white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which to, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Eyes of fire, crowns, robe dipped in blood, Tattoo on his thigh. Did you catch that there's a tattoo on his thigh? It didn't just, it's not just on the robe, it's on, it's on his thigh too. So like in case the crowns didn't give it away, this dude's the king of kings, lord of lords. Not just a king, but the king of all kings. <laughs> really? It's, the, the contrast is striking, right? You either have snow white Jesus or you have fire in his eyes, tattoo on his thigh Jesus. And listen, He's, he's complex. I don't want to say he's both, right? Because he is uh, gentle. He is meek. He is mild. But he's also uh, this fire in his eyes, army leading, robe dipped in blood, tat on his thigh, king as well. So at the end, so gentle Jesus, meek and mild. The word meek is actually a really interesting word. Uh, we, you know, if you look it up, if you pull it up on dictionary.com right now, it'll, it'll tell you a definition. But the biblical definition is a little different than what dictionary.com would say. Uh, the, the, defi- the Bible definition of meekness is actually power under control. Power under control. I like that better. But it's not that Jesus was weak, it's that he was meek. He, he, he came by choice with his power under control. He could have come the first time 2,000 years ago uh, on a horse with a robe dipped in blood with his eyes on fire and an army behind him, right? He could have, but he chose not to. He chose to come in meekness. He chose to allow them to kill him to save us. It was a choice. It wasn't like they got him, they cornered him, like, oh no, what am I gonna do? He allowed it to happen. And he was motivated by love. It wasn't weakness, it was meekness. He took our place he, he wanted to take our sin onto that cross so that he could give us his goodness so that we could have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. It was a choice. It was a choice. Power under control. Now, this is really important uh, because we're gonna start today in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. And I want you to um, see this. So keep this in mind. Uh, 
the, the Jesus that we really want to kind of hold in our mind. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, in his mighty power. So Paul's saying here, you're going to need to be strong in your life. And some of you already know that, right? You, you can't afford to go around being weak. You have way too many things thrown at you every single day. You have to be strong. Uh, but Paul's even pushing you here. He's saying, not just strong in yourself. This, this isn't some like look down deep inside your soul kind of power. He's saying, actually, you need a power that's actually outside of yourself. You need something that's, that's even bigger than you to, to fuel you, to fuel your strength in this life in order for you to be who God's created you to be. In order for you to do what God's created you to do, you need Jesus' power. You need to rely on Jesus' strength. And again, is this the guy you want to rely on? If, if this is the picture or something like it that pops into your mind, I don't know about you, but I'm not super comforted by that. If I'm in the middle of a battle, if I'm in the middle of a fight, I'm not comforted by this. If, I, you know, if, in the, if I'm in the trenches of life going through it, I actually kind of want the eyes blazing, robe dipped in blood, tattoo on his thigh, Jesus. That's the one that I want standing beside me as I go through these fights in my life. And even more important than that, look at what Paul writes in starting in verse 11. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For you're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there's a ton going on in these verses. I, I actually had like three different sermons I wanted to preach, and this is the one that happened. So if you don't like this one, I had two other ones that would have been really cool. Um, there's a ton going on here. So the first thing I just want to point out that Paul's telling us here is that you're in a fight. You're in a fight. Your life is a fight. And again, I bet you knew that on some level already, right? You might not use that language. You, you, you might not uh, say it like that. You might say it's hard. You might say it's a struggle, but it's a fight. It's a fight. Um, if you think, and if you think about it, it you, you go from one fight to the next. You're either in a fight right now, or you're going into one, or you're in that beautiful little space between. Enjoy it, because it doesn't last very long, right? And, and if you think about it, it's always been this way, right? You kind of fool yourself and say, ah, well, man, maybe if I, and then you start to think, oh, yeah. I've been going from one fight to the next to the next my whole life. One fight to fight, one skirmish to the next skirmish, one battle to the next battle. Your life has been a war. Even if you're not a Christian, I, you know, you could, you could be sitting here going, wow, this guy, is talking, this Jesus guy, like what? Like you could totally not be with me on the Jesus thing, but you could at least look at yourself and go, man, yeah, my life has been a fight. You can at least recognize this pattern of out of one fight into the next in your life. The landscape of your life has been like a war-torn battlefield. Some more severe than others, but that's what it is. So the reason your life feels like a war is because it is one. That's what Paul's saying. The reason your life feels like a fight is because it is one. And, and he's telling you that the reason that like with the source of this fight, the source of this war is, is an enemy. You have an enemy. And Paul really wants us to know who that enemy is. It's important to Paul for us to know that. And I, I agree with him. Like when we feel like we're under attack, 
I mean, my instinct is to, to want to swing, right? If you feel like you're under attack, like if you feel like you're in a fight, you want to you start looking around for who's the enemy. Where did that arrow, who, who shot it? You know, you're looking around. You ever, you ever done that before? You ever been uh, fighting and mad at, at somebody over here and then you're, you, you actually attack this person? You ever done that? You ever emotionally swing on this person because this person ticked you off? None of you, you guys are saints. I've done it. Um, <laughs> But Paul's like, hey, the reason you feel like you're in a fight is because you are, and you need to know who your enemy is. You really need to know. So first he tells us who our enemy is not, and this is one of the most important sentences in the Bible. We, we have to, Christians are terrible at this verse, or this sentence, just one sentence. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's not even a full sentence, just part of a sentence. We're terrible at that. You're not fighting against flesh and blood. Who is that? Um, people, right? People. People are not your enemies. Not your true arch enemies. People are not your enemies. Think about that. Sin, flesh and blood, that's not it. That's not where the arrow came from, actually. Dude at work who's trying to undercut you and take credit for your job and get that promotion instead of you, he's not your enemy, not your true enemy. Slimy gossip who's trying to smear your reputation. It's not her. Your ex, not him, not her. It feels like it, but it's not. It's not. That angry agnostic at work that won't stop giving you a hard time about your faith, not your enemy. Definitely not. That, that arrogant atheistic professor who always has some snarky reply, not him. Not him. And uh, it's, it's not flesh and blood enemies, not people. That's a big category, right? So let me get this down. Uh, I'm just going to tick everybody off to this. It's going to be great. Um, it's, it's almost 2020. It's September now. Um, so 2020 is going to suck, right? Uh, just don't watch TV or get on the internet because everybody's. it's just going to be the political war again. So can I, t- can I tell you this? Democrats are not your enemy. They're not. That stinking liberal, socialist, one to take my guns person, they're not your enemy. They're not. <laughs> And since we're a diverse church, the Republicans are not your enemy. That gun-toting, narrow-minded conservative who doesn't want to learn anything new, they're not your enemy either. Bernie Sanders is not your enemy, and neither is Donald Trump, and neither is his hair. If there was, it'd be him. But he's not. It, but flesh and blood is a big category, right? All people. All people. I'm happy I made you laugh at the end of that. I was nervous. Let me push it even further. Listen, that's important. Can we just be honest? Christians kind of act like the other side is the enemy, right? Whatever side you're on, if you take a side. Let me push it even one step further. That uh, Islamic terrorist who would gladly cut your head off, you're not, not fighting against flesh and blood. That's crazy, right? Even the person who would want to like actually kill you. Every person I just listed, every single one, every single one, bears the image of Almighty God, every single one. From the homeless person, to Trump in the White House, to the terrorist hiding in a cave, to the professor hiding in his ivory tower. Human beings that bear the image of Almighty God and God places a high value on them because of that. They are not your enemy, they are your mission field. You know that? If, if they bleed, they're your mission field, not your enemy. So, so just so you know, what that means is, like, until the robots rise up, okay, and, and try to take over, that means that your, your battle is actually not in the physical. 
okay? Because flesh and blood is a huge category. That's everyone. They are not your true enemies. So Paul's saying, if you got your guns aimed at a person, you're, you're aiming at the wrong thing. That's what he's saying here. And um, so I found this website this week. It's going to sound crazy to you because it sounded crazy to me. It was called Adopt a Terrorist for Prayer. So if you're familiar with like Samaritan's Purse, basically that, except for you don't send them like toys because that'd be weird. Um, <laughs> you pray for them. And my knee-jerk reaction is, well, I don't want to do that. Pray that drop a bomb on them or something, you know. Like, that's what I wanted to pray. And then like I got on the site and I started, they have this gallery of pictures. And then you can click on the picture, it'll give you a little bio of, of this person, like stuff they've done, groups they're with, even the bounty that's on their head that the government's placed on them. And um, I picked the guy. Uh, I can't say his name. I don't even know. Um, terrorist in India. Uh, Islamic terrorist. Uh, the source of it, anyways. An extreme version of Islam. And um, I was looking at him. I mean, of course, you know, they just have whatever pictures available. So he looked angry. Um, and I'm like, man, if I was like in his territory, he'd kill me for sure. Double. I'm American and I'm a Christian. Double dead, right? And uh, I prayed for him. I prayed for him. It's weird. Like to think that he's a real person, that he's actually somewhere plotting some kind of something and to pray for him. And to not pray that he'd die. Like to pray that like God would transform him. Like that, that God would give him a new heart. That he would be new. Because I've seen it, right? We've, and we, I would even say, we've seen it. We've seen God transform people, right? We've seen somebody be one thing and then God transform them into another thing. So I was like, Lord, I've watched you do it. Do it here. And it was a crazy thing to pray. That I'm not just praying that you would like shut this guy down, but that you would change his heart. And we, and listen, the guy who, the guy who wrote this, Paul, he was a terrorist, right? <laughs> That's that what he did. And God just... Flicked him right off his donkey. Changed his life right there. So I prayed that God would do that. And uh, it was good for me. I mean, I'll never know if it ever happened ever. But um, the reason that website was important for me is because it reminded me of who my enemy is not. It's not. Not flesh and blood. Our enemies, your true enemy, is spiritual. And honestly, much more dangerous than ISIS or the Taliban or any of that stuff. Your true enemy is way more dangerous than any of that. We are fighting unseen spiritual enemies. And, and honestly, even though they're unseen, I feel like they're more real than the physical. They, they have such a, a heavy influence in this world. And I just want to say, I know that statistically there's a lot of people who believe in God but actually don't believe in like the devil. And so I, statistically, there's probably somebody sitting here who's like, yeah, I believe in God, but <laughs> come on, dude, the devil, really? And I get it. Like, that seems very unsophisticated to believe in the devil because um, uh, speaking of images popping in your mind, you got, you know, you got uh, Disney Jesus <laughs> and then you got red pitchfork and horns devil, right? We just have these weird caricatures of things in our mind. And if that's what pops into your mind and you say, I don't believe in that, I want to say, neither do I. I don't believe that that's the way the devil looks. The Bible actually says that the devil is an angel of light. And if you saw him, you'd think he was beautiful. And that's true of a lot of evil things, though, isn't it? But good on the surface, rotten in the core. So for me, I'll just tell you the, the way I feel, um, having a spiritual enemy, one that I can't see, helps me understand my feeling of always being in a fight. 
It, it, why is this hard? Why does this stuff keep, why does it keep, like, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming? It, it helps me explain the world. That, you know what? There's something happening here that I don't fully understand. There's some stuff behind the scenes going on that I don't see. So yeah, I don't know if you're sitting here, I don't know, you're already pushing it with the Jesus stuff. Now you're telling me there's a devil too. <laughs> um, if you don't believe in Satan, I don't know, jump on any news site. Look at the headlines. Super depressing. And you can't tell me you don't think there's some kind of spiritual, dark spiritual forces at work. You can't tell me that. So I believe that the devil and demons are real. It's simple like that. And I believe um, that they are at work behind the scenes in your life. That they are the reason you feel like you're under attack. They are the reason you go from fight to fight to fight. Because you are. And they are coming constantly causing that. The reason you feel like your life is a war is because it is. You just can't see your enemy. So, question then. How do we fight an enemy who can't see? How do we do that? Luckily, Paul answers. Therefore, because you have an enemy that you can't see that's way more powerful than you, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. To fight an enemy you can't see, you need some equipment that is also invisible. God's armor. Paul calls it. Now, if you go up in church, uh, the pastor usually, if it's the churches I grew up in, it's always a thing. You got, you got to point out like, so Paul was in prison. I don't know if you guys know that. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. So you always point this out like, okay, so he was chained uh, and he's probably looking at the guard who had on armor and this is where Paul got his inspiration for this, this part of the Bible because he's looking at the Roman and you got the helmet on, you got the breastplate, you got the shield, you got the sword. Get, so, so Paul's like looking at this Roman officer. And that may well be, that, that may be where Paul got the inspiration for this. Um, but if you look back in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59, now Isaiah was written before Ephesians by like hundreds of years. Uh, there's a part in there that, that struck me one day when I was reading the Bible, I'm like, oh my gosh, Look at this. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe a Roman soldier was part of Paul's inspiration, but so was Isaiah chapter uh, 59, verse 17. Look at this. Look at this. He put on righteousness as his body armor. Sound familiar? And he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Sound familiar? He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance, which sounds awesome, and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Again, I'm interested in those two pieces of clothing. They just seem really cool. Um, but doesn't, Sounds familiar, right? You, you can't tell me that Paul didn't start this train of thought here. He's like, oh yeah, man, the book of Isaiah talks about that, that righteousness as body armor, that helmet of salvation. It's, it's too big of a coincidence for Paul to have randomly come up with this on his own. So I think this is, this is where it started for Paul. Now obviously the lists are a little different. Paul's got more stuff and he leaves off the cloak of passion and the divine, or the robe of vengeance, which I wish he hadn't. Um, the coolest part though is if this is Paul's inspiration is who has this on in this verse you know who the he is God God's putting on righteousness as his body armor God is placing on a helmet of salvation (laughs) 
God's armor is God's. Now, before you look at me like I'm an idiot, duh, right? <laughs> it's God's armor, yeah. I just kind of looked at it as, as a brand name, you know? Like Nike, just do it, swoosh, God's armor, little cross. I don't know, that's what I, I just kind of thought it was a brand name of the armor. I didn't really think it was possessive. It's possessive, this is God's armor. Paul's telling us to put on God's armor, God's armor. Think about that. Like, like the king himself is taking you into his armory. He's looking at all this stuff like, you know what? You don't need that. You, don't need, you know what? For the battles you're going to face, you need mine. You should take my armor. You should put it on. You're going to be facing some hard ones. You're going to be facing some really tough things. Put my armor on. You, you should take him up on that, by the way. If the king offers you his armor, you should say, okay, yeah, I'll take it. That's a crazy privilege. For the fights you're going to face, you need the king's armor. Now, uh, we could go over all the PCNs again. This is my curse for growing up in church. I will bore myself if I preach the sermon that I've heard a hundred times because I grew up in church. So I know at this point I'm supposed to go through all the little pieces of armor with you and tell you what they mean and and help you like put them on. Um, But I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to change gears here. If you want to do that, um, type in Ephesians chapter six and somebody will preach it on YouTube for you. Um, they will. We've been talking about identity, okay? Who you are and how powerful that is. That, that who you perceive yourself to be, a huge piece of how you live your life and, and the decisions you make. So, so who you believe you are dictates how you act. And the identity that I want to end with in this series, the identity I want to leave the final stamp on here is that you are a warrior. It's who you are. You were born to fight for good and defeat evil. It's part of who you are. It's, part of, it's built into your spiritual DNA. And, and, and good thing, right? Because we've already pointed out, your life's a war. You go from fight to fight. So it's a good thing. Guess what? You're a warrior. It's good. You need that. I, I'm happy about that. If, if I'm in a war, <laughs> I want to be a warrior. This is why identity is so important. Because if you walk onto the battlefield going, I don't belong here. You think you're going to win, right? If you walk out there going, listen, guys, I'm a lover and not a fighter. You're dead, you're dead, right? They're, they're gonna, you're going to be uh, wiped off the map. So if you walk onto the battlefield knowing I am a warrior, I belong here, that's a different stance, right? If you know it in your soul. And see, maybe, the, maybe this is part of your problem. You, you keep getting beat up. You keep getting all these fights and you just don't have this mentality. You don't think I am a warrior. I can do that. Like, you don't think that. You think, oh man, this doesn't make any sense and I can't believe this is happening to me. Armor up, man. This is real. You need to know who you are. You are a warrior. You're built for this. And I believe that like one of the most important things going into a fight is believing you can win. You know? If you, if you walk out onto the battlefield thinking there's no chance, then there is no chance. Right? If you, if you see the enemy and you go, oh man, that guy's going to kill me. He's going to kill you. believing that you actually can win, that you are a warrior, that you're built for this, that you can win the battle is is a huge piece of winning the battle. So I want you to know, every time you walk onto a spiritual battlefield, you have a chance of winning. Every single one. Never is your percentage chance of winning zero. Never. It's low sometimes, not gonna lie. Some of y'all, you're you're an underdog. You are. You're a long shot. You are. The the devil has got your number and uh, you're, you're a long shot but you always have a chance. 
Because whose strength are you fighting in? Do I have to show you the picture again? It's not him. <laughs> You're fighting in, in, in Jesus' strength. Eyes blazing, robe dipped in blood, crowns on his head, tattoo on his thigh. That's the strength you walk out onto that battlefield with. And I want you to know, man, like think about this. So Satan sees you walk onto this battlefield every single day. And he knows every single day you could win. You know that? He, he, ha- he knows that you, <laughs> yeah, they could actually do it today. So he's looking at you like, yeah. what do they got there? Is there any armor on? He's looking to see what you're, what, what, how they're walking onto the field. Are they ready or not? And he's looking at your eyes because he wants to know if they're glowing a little bit, if they're on fire a little bit. He wants to know whose strength you're walking out onto that battlefield. Is it, is it just them? Or they got that, 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 G, that Revelation 19 Jesus. That Revelation 19 Jesus scares Satan. I promise you, he's supposed to. If you re- By the way, read Revelation chapter 19. You won't understand hardly any of it, but it'll be exciting. And we win in the end. It's awesome. Um, I read it, so this is a side note. This is me indulging. We got a little bit of time. Uh, we watched, uh, Rip. I'm a nerd, I already told you this, uh, Avengers Endgame again last night. And then when it was over, I read Revelation 19 and it meant so much more. Uh, if you're a nerd, <laughs> you understand. The only difference is, by the way, after you read the Revelation 19 description of Jesus, Jesus opens up his mouth and all the bad guys die and it's, the battle's just over. So there's no actual fight. The army does nothing. That's the only maybe disappointing part, but it's kind of nice that you have a king who fights your battles for you. Amen. Thank you. You can win. You can win. Some of you aren't living like that. You know that? You're not living like you can win. You walk onto the battlefield, I can't win this. And you, of course you can't. You can win. Look, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. This is a promise. Like that you're never going to hit a point in your life where you're in a situation where you have to do something wrong. You're, you're never going to be in a situation where Satan's like, gotcha. Never. You can always win. You can win. Every time Satan brings the heat, you can punch back. Every time Satan throws a temptation in your face, you can say no. You can. Even if you've lost 99 times or in a row, you walk out onto the field, Satan's looking at you smiling, you can pull your sword out, point at him and say, today's the day, buddy. I got you now. Because I'm not coming out here on my own. You see this? I got some new armor. And, and you see my eyes? They're lit up a little bit. There's not a tattoo on my thigh, but I know the guy who has one, and I'm coming for you today. Getting better at that. Every battle, every temptation, every spiritual fight, you can win. It doesn't matter how many times you've lost, you can win because you're a warrior. Now, I want to show you how Paul ends this section in the book. Uh, it's, it starts in, in 19. He says this, and pray for me too. So Paul gets a little selfish here at the end. Pray for me. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So, I, so pray that I, so context, he's in prison. I already told you, he's in prison, he's got actual chains on, can't go where he wants to go, probably not eating very good food, probably not a great view, probably not a great smell, bad situation for Paul to be in. And he's asking for prayer. Pray that I, what? 
what would you ask for? The obvious, right? I mean, let's, we're Americans in 2019. We would ask to get out of prison, right? <laughs> hey, pray that I would be freed, please, right? Uh, pray that um, I, the, the, the legal system would finally get it together and that I would be acquitted. Pray that the regime would change and maybe the person who comes into power would be more friendly to Christians so that I can get out. Pray that an earthquake comes to open up the door so I can get the heck out of here. Pray anything to get me out of this situation, Right? I can't imagine praying for much more than that, to be honest, depending on what state of mind I'm in. You know what he prays for, though? Finish it. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. (laughs) You know the funniest part? That's why he was put in prison, for speaking boldly. That's literally why. He got put in prison for speaking boldly about Jesus, and he's asking them to pray that he would keep doing it as I should. That's a, that's a warrior prayer right there, isn't it? That's a warrior prayer. That's a guy who knows he's at war, who knows that the fight's gonna keep coming and he's fighting. I wanna win. Can you pray that I would win? I'm not praying for the war to stop. I know that doesn't happen in this side of heaven, but pray that I win. Pray that I walk out there in, in my armor and not in my own strength. Pray that I win. I like that. He's not praying for the fight to stop. He's praying to fight well. So listen, I wouldn't be like doom and gloom, but the fight doesn't stop this side of heaven. It doesn't. You can pray for brief respites, you can pray for rest, but true rest, arrows stop flying, shields to stop clanking, that doesn't happen this side of heaven. You're in it. So praying for things to stop, praying for the next fight to not come, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Not down here. One of my favorite authors, uh, a guy named Erwin McManus, and he said this in one of his books, God would never choose safety for us at the cost of significance. Man, I wrote that down as soon as I read it. Um, because if we're, I mean, what are the flavor of your prayers? Can we be honest? We pray for this a lot, don't we? Some version of it. Maybe not even, you know, you don't call it safety, maybe even comfort whatever. But he's saying here, now nah, actually God's not going to choose safety at the cost of your significance. So if you have to choose between the two, safety is lesser and significance is greater, which means you'll choose significance even if it costs you safety. See, and that's what Paul gets, right? He's not praying for safety. He's not praying to get out of jail. He's not praying for that. He's praying for significance. He, wa- he actually wants the fight, right? He's itching a little bit. His, his sword hand is grabbing that sword. His, his shield is up. His armor's already on. He's like, pray that I get to get out there. I want to get at him. I, t- I tell my wife this sometimes. Man, I wish I could get a hold of Satan sometimes, like physically get a hold of him because I see some stuff, man, and I know he'd tear me to pieces because the Bible says he's way more powerful than me, but man, sometimes I just want to punch him in his throat. And uh, I know that physically you can't do that, but some days I do feel like I get him and I always get in trouble when I say that because then he usually comes for me this week, so pray for me. Um, <laughs> usually when we talk about this, it's when it comes. Um, what would you rather have? You, <laughs> gonna give you the Braveheart speech, dying in your beds many years from now. Which would you rather have? Would you rather live a life of safety or a life of significance? It's a poor man's version of it. I don't have an Irish accent to, or a Scottish accent to go along with it, but which one would you rather have? All the times you pray for safety, 
Yeah, in the short term, I get it. All those times you pray for comfort. Yeah, in the short term, I get it. What about significance though? Wouldn't that mean more? Wouldn't that mean more? You're a warrior. You're born for this. Your, your whole purpose is to fight here for God's kingdom now. Because like I said, at the end, when, when Jesus actually does show back up, it isn't much of a fight. Your time to fight is now. Apocalypse, you don't, get, you don't even draw your sword. I don't even know that we have swords in that fight. We don't need them. Jesus just shows up and it's over. Your, your time to fight is now. You have the sword now. It's just not physical. So fight now. Live a life of significance. Accept the fact that you're going to be attacked all the time. And the only way to win is in Jesus' strength and with the king's armor. Safety or significance? You're built for it. You gotta choose though.